This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Ronald takes the snap, looks left under pressure. Bullets one over the middle. And welcome back to another episode of the Cool Your Jets podcast. We're your host, Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. The Jets have officially broken training camp and are less than 10 days away from week one against Buffalo. We are ecstatic to have Jets football back in our lives uh, for at least for one week until they start losing games. And then we, we might uh, change our tune on that a little bit. Um, but honestly, just happy to see football back in general. Um, Michael, how are you feeling this close to the regular season? I'm actually feeling pretty good, but you kind of started off a little pessimistic there uh, with <laughs> well, you know, projecting they're going to lose games. But I, I guess we should be I, used to that. I actually, their opening week record is pretty good. over the I, past, Not last year, but generally they right. do win I, more of those. I predicted that they would win uh, this game against Buffalo, which I'm sure many Buffalo fans think are, is crazy. And last year, I thought they would win, and I walked in. I was like, okay, we thank God. At least just don't lose to Buffalo. This is a cakewalk. I didn't really think Buffalo was that good. And that game was just so horrifying that immediately after I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's Jets football right there, at least for the past decade. But, you know, I'm liking things heading into, uh, heading into 2020. I think people are, are generally uh, pretty doom and gloom, at least on, on Jets Twitter about the season. But I, I think this is a better team than last year's team. I know there's definitely some questions surrounding Adam Gase, but overall I'm pretty positive heading into the season. And I know the Jets have struggled with a lot of injuries. Uh, in training camp, but knock on wood, they haven't really been season-ending injuries like some of the other teams. You saw the Chargers lost Derwin James. The Eagles have been hit by a ton of injuries. A lot of the Jets' injuries were just kind of soft tissue injuries, and it sounded like Gase was just being very uh, cautious about them. But the Jets are fairly healthy going into week one, uh, assuming that uh, nobody gets hurt in the next week. Again, knock on wood. Um, But, Michael, uh, this weekend will be the Jets cutting their roster down. It's going to be a pretty crazy weekend in the NFL. I I suspect that the Jets will be fairly active on the waiver wire. I think they'll they'll be claiming, uh, you know, at least a a few players, uh, specifically at the wide receiver position. I could see them adding somebody at edge, maybe somebody at corner. uh, And you never know. I mean, talented players shake free uh, all the time at at this time uh, of year. Um, So, it's a very interesting weekend uh, if you're a football fan and a Jets fan in general, just because this this 
team has a lot of work to do when it comes to depth. And I think this is a good opportunity for Joe Douglas to keep adding more of his guys to the team. The farther the Jets get away from the Mike McCagman uh, years as a GM, the better the team they're going to be. And this is just another opportunity for Joe Douglas uh, to mold his roster. But we figured uh, we'd go through uh, the, the current roster, talk about it, uh, make some predictions about the, the 53, but overall just kind of analyze the state of the position uh, going into this weekend and how we think it could change uh, after this weekend and heading into week one. Uh, really quickly, though, you can follow us at CYJ Pod on Twitter, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, including JetsXFactor.com, which is the best place to go for Jets content. So, Michael, let's hop right into it at quarterback. Uh, this is actually an interesting position for the Jets, not at, as far as who the starter will be. Obviously, no QB competition this summer. Sam Darnold is the man, and I'm expecting a big year from him. But outside of that, though, it does get pretty interesting because – the Jets drafted James Morgan in the fourth round. They signed Joe Flacco, who hasn't even begun throwing. Um, and then they've had two other young quarterbacks, one of which is Mike White, who's impressed this summer. So they have some interesting decisions to make. Um, looking at it from my perspective, uh, I think that Joe Flacco clearly isn't ready and is not going to be ready um, for the first part of the season. Uh, but the Jets can't place him on IR before – that Saturday 4 p.m. deadline or else he'll have to be on IR for the entire season. So what's going to have to happen is he's going to make the roster. They're going to have to cut somebody else. And then at that point, they'll place him on IR and then they can bring in somebody else. Um, But after Joe Flacco presumably goes on IR, who knows, maybe, I mean, the initial diagnosis is that he could be ready by week three, um, but it just doesn't look like that. And then the question becomes, well, who's going to be the backup? And I think it has to be James Morgan because there's no way that I think Joe Douglas will feel confident cutting his fourth round pick and then hoping he clears waivers and putting him on the practice squad. So right now, uh, I think this, this time uh, next week, I think you're going to be looking at a QB room that is Sam Darnold as the starter, James Morgan as the backup, Joe Flacco on IR. And then I think they're going to place uh, either David Fales or Mike White uh, on the practice squad, presumably Mike White, but if he gets claimed by somebody else, I think it'll be Fales as that quarantine quarterback. And then I think their game plan going into the season will be if Darnold goes down, at least in the early part, that Morgan will step in for that game. And then uh, because it seems like Mike White was ahead of him on the depth chart, uh, they'll probably activate uh, White, who would then be the starter for how many games Darnold would miss in that scenario until Joe Flacco gets back. But Michael, I know I just covered kind of the entire position, but what are your thoughts on the QB position and that interesting dilemma between Mike White, David Fales, James Morgan, and Joe Flacco? Yeah, I think the way you put it is is pretty good. Morgan being in there makes it very interesting because obviously he's not ready to be um, a, a viable backup at this point. And, you know, if he were to go into, like, like say he came in the first game next week against Buffalo, he would probably be one of the least ready, least effective quarterbacks in the league. He's a fourth-round pick coming out of a smaller school. You don't expect him to do much in his rookie year, but because of Flacco's injury, Uh, And the fact that he's a fourth round pick. And like you said, he's not going to make it to the practice squad. He has to be on the roster. And, uh, and because you want to keep Flacco around for eventually when, you know, he does get healthy and can be a solid backup, he has to stick around at least, uh, like you said, you could put him on IR, but that's a spot you have to use there. So, you know, there are a lot of names in the mix here that you have to account for. So it makes it tough because Mike White was clearly the second best quarterback uh, throughout, or it, maybe not even the second best. I mean, you could argue, um, it, or at least some people who were there might, that he was right there with Sam Darnold, but he played really well. Uh, but because you okay, have, well, let's let's simmer that. I mean, he was playing against the, the second and third. Uh, honestly, I think I saw more hype from White than Darnold. Doesn't mean anything. 
but I mean, yeah, he's getting right. some buzz. He's Christian getting some... Hackenberg got some buzz during training camp too, going up against the threes. Did he? He did. Remember when he was wearing the glove? Do you not remember that? The gloved Christian Hackenberg? All I remember is him not being able to hit the ocean. That's what I remember. And I remember him hitting a a reporter as well. But my point is is that Mike White is doing well against the second and third team. He was okay. Yeah. He did have a good drive against the Giants in the (laughs) preseason. There's so much hope. But I mean, I think the way you put it is pretty good. Flacco will either. Uh, you know, you put, he makes the roster and then you put him on IR or he could even stay on. If you think he'll be ready by the second week, which, you know, does seem optimistic considering he didn't even throw yet. But if you think it's a short term injury, maybe he just sticks around on the roster. But I think what you said is most likely uh, Flacco will go on IR and then you have white on the practice squad and you can promote him to the active roster to start a game if you don't feel like Morgan is ready for that. But Morgan will probably be that backup quarterback, which isn't ideal if he has to come in and finish a game. But like you said, uh, if they're not okay with him, then you can promote White or Fails if they do, because, you know, he is uh, familiar with Gase for multiple seasons now. Uh, one of those to start a game. But uh, they do need to get Flacco back because none of these options are ideal as a backup. Well- well, I can't imagine James Morgan is going to be worse than uh, Luke Falk was last true. year. So I think we've seen the, the basement. I think uh, at least we can count on Morgan to come in and he'll at least take shots down the field. Yeah, I mean, he's actually had an okay training camp. I mean, he's, he's, had, I mean, he's been fairly quiet, but it's not, it's, not, it's not been all horrible for James Morgan. I think he, I mean, he's a project, obviously, but uh, I like his ceiling I mean, a lot Gardner more than Gardner Minshew Falk. came in as a fourth-rounder last right. year. Right? No, not a fourth-rounder. Was he a six-rounder? But he, he was a late pick, but he came in and did all right. So, I mean, anything's right. possible. Right. Uh, looking ahead to the running back position, uh, Le'Veon Bell entrenched as a starter, um, but Frank Gore and LaMichael Pirine do plan uh, to get some touches. Uh, Pirine's had a great summer. Apparently, same with Gore. They both had uh, great summers, and we know that Adam Gase likes to use a running back by committee approach. I expect to see a lot of Le'Veon Bell out wide. Um, Frank Gore does fit Adam Gase's offense a little bit better and the strengths of the team just by hitting the hole immediately. So I expect that Frank Gore will play a lot, but I I think that Adam Gase is wise enough to know that he needs Le'Veon Bell on the field. So I think you'll just see Le'Veon split out wide a lot, Um, but he'll get plenty of carries as well. He is a volume runner. So I I hope that Adam Gase um, does keep feeding him the rock um, and doesn't, you know, try to limit his carries too much. Uh, And then P Ryan is a guy that I'm very excited about after the, the, this summer, as you mentioned a little earlier, training camp doesn't mean too much, but a P Ryan has been impressing outside of that. Uh, and I, I guess we should start with P Ryan a little bit. He does have the ankle injury. If it's worse than it's suspected at this point. And when they had their green and white practice at MetLife, it did seem like it was a lot worse considering that he got carted off. I would say that perhaps P Ryan goes on IR. That's still a possibility. Just, we don't know the extent of the injury, but Gase did make it sound like it was fairly minor, so I do think that he should be on the the uh, 53 53 man roster. He may be inactive for week one, and they may just roll in with two running backs, or uh, they could keep a guy like Josh Adams on the roster. They could sign somebody that shakes free. Obviously, they're they're in the market a little bit, considering that they tried to trade a pick for Kalen Balage. Michael, what do you think is going to happen with the running back position after this weekend? I think, like you said, that Pirine his injury. It seems like it's minor enough to where he will make the team to start out the season. Maybe he's not healthy enough and he'll be inactive for a little bit. Um, we still don't know everything about or too many details about it, but it seems like he will make the team. And then Bell and Gore will probably carry the load for the first few weeks. But 
I think Josh Adams. I guess it depends on where they are with Pirine, uh, whether or not he'll make the team. Because they did at least attempt to make the trade for Kalen Blav. So it, that does show you that they were at least open to adding someone else at running back. So if Pirine isn't ready to go for maybe a few weeks, maybe Adams makes the roster as that third running back. But otherwise, I think Bell, Gore, and Pirine is definitely the trio that they'll be rolling with. Yeah, it's an interesting decision because I think unless Piran is, is fully healthy for week one, I think it's more likely that he'll probably return with that, me having pretty much zero knowledge on the situation outside of what I read from the beat reporters and from Gase's press conferences and stuff. It sounds like he'll probably be ready by week two or week three, but I don't know if I'd count it in the bag that he'll be fully 100% uh, by next Sunday. I definitely don't think he'll be fully 100%, but can he play? Uh, and if he can't, then I think you're right. Then I think he'll be uh, just inactive on that day. But is Adam Gase going to be comfortable just rolling in with Le'Veon Bell and Frank Gore, especially with all the injuries at wideout? I think that is the position that it's going to depend a lot on. Last year, the Jets only carried five receivers, and I think they could potentially try to do the same thing this year. Uh, a little bit more on that later. Um, but it, it depends on on – and I guess we can hop into it a little bit just because it is pertinent to the running back position. We were talking about it beforehand because the jets are so weak at receiver. Is this a situation where they do like last year, just carry five receivers, maybe six receivers, which is about six is about the average. Um, but if, if they keep five receivers and Perriman or Mims goes down and, and they're still looking for somebody, perhaps they could be trying to carry six or seven uh, and, and bolster out that depth and see if anybody uh, with those last two spots can step up. It's, it's, it's kind of a, a battle of if you're weak at a position, do you just try to keep as few of it as possible or do you try to keep as many as possible and try to give yourself as many chances uh, as you can at having a player who could play uh, well there? I think if the Jets decide to go with five receivers, then I think they'll carry four running backs. But I think at the Jets, which I think they'll do, carry six or even seven receivers, then I think that they're going to roll into week one with Bell and Gore and then hope that Piran is ready to go on Sunday. And if he's not, uh, then I think you're just going to see a lot of Frank Gore and Le'Veon Bell uh, against the Bills. Uh, Michael, any last thoughts the running backs before we move on to the receivers? Well, I think, like you said, that receiver kind of does go hand in hand with it because, you know, I mean, all positions do kind of play together when you're doing this. You know, if you, even if it's defensive line, you decide not to keep someone that could open up a spot. Uh, but on the offense, you know, you do want to have as much depth as you can get. And you, of course, don't want it to be one-sided to the defense or the offense. So I think there is a relationship between what they do at receiver and running back. But, uh, I mean, I think we can move on to the receivers just because of the relationship it has. But right. I think Perriman, Perriman, Crowder, Barrios, I think also, and Mims, those four are probably the locks. I would say Barrios is a lock because of what he does. He is a punt returner probably the backup slot as well. You don't really have another pure slot guy. And he's had a good camp. Yeah, and he's been impressive throughout camp as well. So I think those are your locks. And then outside of that, I think Hogan and Moncrief are not necessarily – Hogan more so I think is a a good bet to make the team. Uh, You know, he could even be starting the first game depending on where they're at with Mims, how comfortable he is with the playbook because he got involved in practice pretty late. So I think Hogan will be there, Moncrief as well. Less likely, I could see them cutting him just because he was also a late arrival. And also, there are going to be plenty of cuts at receiver across the league. So they could even add a few more players here. Um, you know, in that kind of range as Hogan and Moncrief, veteran outcast sort of players. So 
I do think Hogan, for now, Hogan and Moncrief definitely, I think, would make the team. Uh, and then beyond that is where it gets interesting. Lawrence Cager was hurt, missed a couple practices earlier, or at least one, but he was back for the last practice, so it seems like he's healthy now. Do you keep him, or do you try to put him in the practice squad? Uh, and then there are those fringe guys. I think Josh Malone and Jehu Chasson are probably the only two that have a chance of being that last guy. Uh, and then Vincent Smith is on IR. Um, so there are a lot of interesting moving parts here at the bottom. How do you think it plays out? Yeah, I think the big thing that you touched on is uh, that a lot of teams are going to be cutting receivers. And I think this is the position that I would put money on that the Jets will bring in somebody before this weekend's end. Um, obviously, Mohamed Sanu was already cut by the Patriots. I think he's a name to keep an eye out for. But I think they want to see who else could shake free. Uh, there are a lot of interesting names, uh, you know, some teams to keep an eye on, the Rams, the Cowboys, um, uh, the Cardinals are, are teams, the Seahawks are teams that are very deep at receivers, uh, at receiver, excuse me. And even if a guy's having a good camp, just it's a numbers game, he might not make the team. Uh, for familiar uh, Jet, Deontay Burnett just got released by the Eagles. He's probably not among the top of those guys, considering he doesn't play special teams and Gase has already gotten a look at him. But, you know, he's another guy where um, just there's going to be a lot of influx uh, of of new talent on this team, I believe, after this weekend. And I think receiver is the spot to look at. I think you're right. I think obviously Perriman, Crowder, Mims, uh, and I would agree with you. I would say Barrios is a lock as well. And Hogan, uh, considering he's already developed some chemistry with Darnold, he's been fairly constant. I think the one thing to keep an eye on is, uh, especially between Hogan and Barrios, I think those are the only ones, uh, they did suffer some injuries uh, the past two days. If those injuries are more severe than we're anticipating, maybe one of those goes on IR or something. But I think they sh- it sounded like that they should all be ready for week one. Um, and then that's your five receivers right there, um, which they may just roll into uh, after the initial 53-man cut with. And then once they play some guys on IR, I think that's when you could see a six and potentially a seventh receiver added. I think Moncrief, I mean, he had a good play in camp uh, a few days ago. so And he's an experienced NFL receiver. So he might be a guy that I think the Jets are eyeing to keep. But if somebody shakes free that they like more, like a guy like Philip Dorsett in Seattle, I was reading that he could potentially be a cut. Um, if they like him more, then they could just opt to not bring Moncrief back and then bring in Dorsett and potentially somebody else. Um, I think that's the, the big uh, thing to keep an eye on. Is I think they're originally going to go with five, and then they're going to look at – they know that they're going to bring in that six, and I think they're going to be – keeping an eye on, is it going to be Moncrief where we already have on the roster? Or do we like a guy like Mohamed Sanu more, a guy like Philip Dorsett, a guy like Akeem Butler from the Cardinals, a a fourth-round pick in 2019, if he shakes free? Just guys like that around the league. There's going to be talented players let go. Uh, And then the last piece of uh, news in the receivers to keep an eye on is just that practice squad spot because you talked about it. I think a lot of those guys like Jamal, uh, Jamal, Josh Malone, uh, Jehu Chasson, uh, George Campbell, there were a lot of guys who got opportunities with the ones this year uh, and got to build some chemistry with Sam Darnold. So I think the Jets are going to be stacking a lot of those guys on their practice squad, um, specifically with Josh Malone and Jehu Chasson. I don't think they're going to make the 53, but I think they're definitely going to be New York Jets after this weekend. Uh, barring they get claimed elsewhere, which I find it hard to believe. And, and Lawrence Cager is also part of that group as well. I think he had an impressive camp. Potentially the Jets keep him on the 53, but I think he's more of a likely of a, of a practice squad guy that they could elevate if they, if they really feel. Um, but all, all in all, I think when the Jets are playing the Bills week one, I think they're going to be having six receivers on that roster. Uh, and that six receiver spot is probably going to be somebody uh, from another team. Uh, looking at the tight end position, and this is a position the Jets are fairly strong at. 
Chris Herndon finally back from, from injury. Uh, he did have a bit of a chest issue a few days ago, but he seems to be all good with that. Um, and that's very crucial for the Jets, considering he's the guy who has the best chemistry with Sam Darnold. I would say even more so than Jameson Crowder. Um, those two seem to find each other a lot on third down and when things break down. He's really the only guy Sam Darnold has had in his career to this point where if something breaks down and he and he's rolling out and he's looking to find somebody, Chris Herndon has been that one guy who's been able to really have a, a strong connection with Sam about breaking off his route and coming towards Sam and, and catching balls in traffic. So I expect him to have a big year. Ryan Griffin, who got the extension last year, um, and, and Trevon Wesco are, are the backups. Wesco's had a, a, had a good camp as well, and, and this is a bit of a bold take. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if you see more of Wesco than Griffin as the season goes on as that tight end number two. Just reading about the, the type of camp he's had, obviously the Jets like to use Wesco as their H-back, um, but I think that he's a better blocker than Griffin. Griffin's talked about how he doesn't, feel that he's, he doesn't think he'll ever feel the same uh, as, as he did before the injury. Wesco's really improved as a receiver. So if the Jets are going to go 12 personnel, I think originally they're going to go with Griffin and, and, and Herndon because you saw the chemistry that Darnold had with Griffin. Um, but as the season goes on, it would not surprise me to see that 12 personnel turn into Herndon and Wesco just because of what Wesco gives you as a blocker. And especially if, he, if he's uh, grown as a receiver, I think that just brings you a lot more because Griffin and Michael, I'm sure you have the numbers on this, was not very good uh, as a blocker last year. Yeah, I actually like that take a lot because I've been projecting Herndon and Griffin as a really good duo the whole offseason, but you brought up uh, that quote that he mentioned um, about his recovery post-injury. That That's usually not what you hear from guys when they're coming back from injuries. Usually, yeah. <laughs> I'm the best shape of my life. I'm better than ever, but he's like, no, nah, I'm never going to be the same. So that is a little bit concerning. So, you know, maybe he does kind of you know, slide back into a lesser role. And like you said, Wesco is a much better blocker than Griffin. Still has some room to grow to where he's a a good blocker, I think Wesco does, but he improved a lot down the stretch last season. Uh, And I think Wesco coming out of West Virginia, in addition to the blocking, a big part of his appeal was his upside as a receiver because of what he could do after the catch with the ball in his hands. Uh, He showed a lot uh, in his few opportunities uh, with West Virginia, you know, he's a guy who can, is pretty powerful, the ball in his hands. That's why they lined him up at fullback a few times last year. Uh, so there was some upside there, and I could definitely see that happening. But I do think to start out, it will be Herndon and Griffin being featured a lot, especially considered ha- uh, how they are a wide receiver right now. And I think both guys can do damage. Both of them were Sam Darnold's best target the last two seasons in terms of Darnold's passer rating when targeting them over 120 to both of those guys. So um, I think they'll definitely both be featured, but we'll see if, like you said, uh, Griffin does turn out to be not quite the same player. And then they phase Wesco in a little bit more, but uh, it's pretty important. Wesco is, Wesco is an important player for them because the tight end blocking was a huge issue last year. Herndon's going to be an upgrade over Daniel Brown, but he's still not a great blocker. He's okay. But Griffin was pretty bad blocking for them last year, plain and simple, but Wesco has the potential to be a very good blocker and improved down the stretch last season after a disappointing first half. So uh, it will be interesting what you said to see if Wesco can become that tight end too uh, and kind of phase out Griffin a little bit. But to start out, I do think both Griffin and Herndon, uh, specifically Griffin more so in the red zone, you'll probably see him more. And then Herndon in between the 20s would be one of the featured targets. Uh, Still in the red zone, but I'm just saying Griffin would probably see his role expanded more in the red zone. But I think both those guys early on 
will be key. But down the stretch, like you said, I could see Wesco sort kind of sort of phase into that tight end two role just because if he can, if Wesco can be a true tight end, not just you know a blocker that you bring in for short yardage to play H back, uh, then that that's where he can really have impact because right. Griffin, you're sacrificing a little bit because you know even though he's a good receiver, you're sac you're you have a bad blocker out there on right. run downs. But if you could have Wesco develop his receiving game and you could have both of those aspects, it makes him a much better tight end too. Yeah, and especially given the Jets' weakness at receiver, I think you're going to see the Jets play not just 12 personnel. They might even play 13 personnel and have Griffin, Wesco, and Herndon all out there. They might flex Herndon out more to, to receiver. He's Adam Gase has described him as a unicorn and everything that he can do. So you might see the Jets flex Herndon out and have Griffin and Wesco online. I'm not saying that, that I think Griffin's going to be terrible this year, but I think that Wesco is going to really emerge. Um, and the Jets did give give Griffin a, a contract extension. If for some reason he's bad. And I know in our, in our Jets X factor uh, predictions, I, I think I had him as the most disappointing player on offense. Uh, cause, cause I think everybody, I'm trying to remember who everybody else went with, but I, I just went with Ryan Griffin cause of that quote primarily. Um, but just for all the people who are worried about the contract that Joe Douglas gave him, the Jets can get out of that contract and free up about two and a half million dollars and only eat a little over a million dollars. So it wasn't necessarily a super long-term commitment, even though it was a three-year deal. Um, it was only three years for 10 mil, I believe. So uh, they can get out of that contract if he's not doing too well. But right now I do like that room, especially if Wesco can um, elevate and is even more so if, if Griffin can play the way he did last year. Um, in addition to, to all the things that Chris Herndon brings uh, to your team. Outside of those guys, Ross Travis. And, and, also, and also you mentioned um, you mentioned that um, like running 13 personnel, something they could do. They actually did rank seventh in 13 personnel usage last season, 50 snaps over the course of the season. So only about three a game, but again, that's still more than most other teams. So it's already something they were doing quite a bit. And that's when they had Daniel Brown out there for most of the time. So with Chris Herndon, you could definitely see that. Maybe even go up a little bit. No one used it too much. The most in the league last year was Tennessee with 108, so about six snaps per game. So no one uses that too much, but the Jets definitely could be up there in terms of not just 12 personnel, but 13 also. Yeah, 13, and then also 22 personnel because when Wes goes in as, a, as an H-back, I believe yeah. he would count as a, as a running back, and then you could have Her, uh, Griffin and Herndon out there at the same time. So I think all three are going to see a good amount of playing time is – is the, the point of that conversation, just given the Jets question marks at receiver, especially if a guy like Denzel Mims, you know, needs a few weeks to really get this offense under his belt. Um, outside of those guys, I think Ross Travis is really the only guy that I've heard about. He's a candidate for the practice squad. I expect him to probably make it. Um, I don't, I don't think Daniel Brown, uh, I don't, is he, I don't even know if he's eligible for the practice squad. They extended it to, if you've had less than six accrued seasons, you can make it. I don't know if Daniel Brown is, is a, long-time NFL vet or not, but either way, I don't think that they'll make the 53-man. Um, moving to the offensive line, though, um, this is a position that Joe Douglas put a lot of money into and a lot of resources into this, this offseason, and he's done a really good job of, of turning this unit around and putting them in a good place for next year to keep building on it. Um, but even for this season, I think that they're going to be a much improved offensive line. I think they'll be around the, the middle of the league and maybe more. I mean, we've seen this plenty of times in the NFL that – it's not necessarily the best five offensive linemen. It's the, the best uh, unit that can play as one and have that, that uh, chemistry and that cohesion as one unit. It sounds like, I mean, look, it's training camp practices against the Jets' vaunted pass rush. Um, so we'll see how they play uh, in these games. You've talked about it a lot, Michael, that they have a lot 
specifically when we're talking about Makai Becton, that they face a lot of top-tier pass rushers. So that's going to be a little bit uh, nerve-wracking to watch uh, as the rookies protecting Darnold's blind side. But, you know, I think this is a team that, by all reports, has had a pretty solid training camp. Uh, not anybody has really missed much time. Lewis and Van Roden have missed a little bit of time individually. But uh, McGovern, Becton, and Fant all played uh, – all practiced in full every single day of training camp. It sounds like they've done a good job of developing chemistry. And the other thing that I like that, that uh, Joe Douglas did was he established some depth for this unit. I mean, this was a unit that was often injured um, for the jets more so than I believe any other offensive line. I mean, they literally, uh, I forget by which week mark, but had completely switched all five starters on that offensive line. And I was thinking about this the other day. I wonder how much of that was just due to the performance of an offensive line. I'd love to see uh, the comparison between an offensive lineman, an offensive line's rank and injury. Obviously, the more uh, that uh, an offensive line gets injured, the worse they're going to perform. But I mean it vice versa in the sense that the Jets' offensive line was so bad last year, and it seems like there were so many guys just getting trucked over and pushed into Sam Darnold and the pocket collapsing that there was just a lot of bodies falling all over each other last year. Uh, and I wonder if that contributed to some of the injuries. I felt like I saw plenty of injuries where guys were just getting rolled up on because the guy next to him fell over. So hopefully the injuries will go down with an improved play. That's just me thinking about it, but I don't know if Michael has any <laughs> other insight onto that. Um, but as I was saying, I think Joe Douglas has done a good job of building that depth. Josh Andrews is a guy that really intrigues me. Part of me likes him more than Greg Van Roten. Um, so I, you know, I think I'm very comfortable with he, if he has to slide in, I don't love Jonathan Harrison, but he's solid depth. Chumadoga, a third-round pick from last year. Uh, he'll make the team as, as the backup tackle. If either Fanta or Becton go uh, down, Adogo will get a chance to prove himself. He had some good moments as a rookie, more so at right tackle, uh, and then he got hurt, and we haven't really heard much of him this, this offseason. So he'll get a chance to prove himself, and then Cameron Clark is a guy I really, really like that the Jets took out of Charlotte in the fourth round this past year. So, Michael, what are your thoughts on, uh, on this offensive line situation so far? I mean, to go to what you were saying earlier with the injuries, I mean, I guess that does contribute. A lot of offensive line injuries are based on just having their feet rolled up, things like that. So, I mean, I guess if you're staying upright, it helps everyone else stay healthy. So, you know, hopefully that does actually play out. But um, this is probably one of the least uh, – one of the positions, the most predictable in terms of who's going to make the team. Uh, it doesn't seem like uh, – I think we know the nine who are going to make it. We know who the starting five are going to be. There was never a right tackle competition. Like we thought there might, George Fand was starting there the entire training camp. Chuma Yudoga will back him up as the swing tackle. Um, I guess the only question mark here is Yudoga being uh, the only, uh, at least these four, Andrews, Harrison, Clark, and then him, Yudoga. Yudoga's probably the only tackle. Clark did play tackle in college, but he's been playing guard in camp and is projected to switch there in the NFL. So, uh, they could add Connor. Well, Connor McDermott is injured, so I guess he could have been an option, but probably not now. But uh, I think that's probably what they'll roll with. Idoga is a swing tackle. Uh, Andrews and Harrison, both of them could play either center or guard. And then Clark is a developmental piece for this season. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think they'll carry nine, um, but I, I would keep an eye out on, on Jared Hilbers or Connor McDermott uh, to make that practice squad. I think McDermott is actually injured, so he could be a candidate for that IR. Um, but outside of that, I think they've, they've pretty much got the guys that they want. But you never know. I mean, Joe Douglas is a guy who loves offensive line, uh, who, who loves the offensive line and loves scouting offensive line men. So, you know, if, if a team cuts, uh, you know, 
some interior offensive linemen. It wouldn't surprise me if a guy like Jonathan Harrison gets cut uh, and they bring in somebody. I would just keep an eye on that position. I think you're right. I think that given the, the current crop of offensive linemen on this team, I don't expect much upheaval. I think that the nine we talked about will be the, the nine that they carry. Um, but I would just keep an eye on it throughout the weekend um, to see if, if anybody shakes free that the Jets and Joe Douglas specifically might pounce on just because that is his specialty. And I know he's always going to keep trying to improve that unit. Um, looking at, at the, the other side of the trenches, the defensive line, this is probably the Jets' deepest position. I wouldn't say that they rank among the top teams in the league just because it's not like they have a vaunted pass rushing defensive line. But they just have a lot of really solid guys. And I think this is the one position where you may see somebody slip th- uh, free from the Jets uh, and who can, you know, go somewhere else and, and produce. They just have a lot of uh, solid defensive linemen that Greg Williams can rotate in and out. Um, obviously, the guys that, that are going to play the most this season, Quinton Williams, uh, Foley Fadakasi, Steve McClendon, and Henry Anderson are listed as, as the starters. Um, but outside of that, though, Jabari Zuniga, the rookie who just returned to practice, he's been out with a quad. Uh, I think he'll make the 53, obviously, but he probably won't be active for the first game in my mind. I mean, he's got to get his conditioning back. He's got to get used to practicing for football again. But guys who, who performed great last year, two guys in particular, Nathan Shepard and Kyle Phillips, were guys that came out of nowhere and performed very well for Greg Williams' defense. So obviously they're locks to, to make it. Uh, and John Franklin Myers is a guy that we like as well. He's had a, has, has had a solid camp as well. Um, had a pretty solid pass rushing resume with the, the Los Angeles Rams Had a strip sack in the Super Bowl. That's more so than uh, any other guy on the team uh, can say. Uh, and I expect they'll keep him just because they have really nobody else rushing the passer, though. Anything that John Franklin Myers can bring is probably better than what the Jets have on their team. I know I, I, I kind of misspoke. I said Nathan Shepard and Kyle Phillips are locked. Are locks you never know. I could see a guy like Shepard slipping free just because what we talked about the deep, uh, the deepness of this defensive line. But in all honesty, like I would much rather keep a guy like Nathan Shepard than Henry Anderson. Um, but I, I would imagine the cap maybe doesn't doesn't permit that. But uh, the eight guys we just talked about there, I think those guys are, are my predictions for who will make the team. Outside of that, though, Jordan Willis, uh, I believe he'll probably get cut and wind up in the practice squad, and then they already released. Uh, Sterling Johnson, I believe. But, Michael, what are your thoughts on this unit as we just talked about? I mean, it's a, it's a very deep unit, and I would say that it's probably the strongest unit on the team. But it's not, you know, it's not a defensive line like San Francisco or, or any of the other top-tier defensive lines where they have all these vaunted pass rushers. There's a lot of really solid players that Greg Williams can play with. Yeah, it's really deep. I think that's the most important thing. Last year, the Jets were doing a lot of rotation here. Uh, they didn't have any every down players on this unit. You had four to four or five different guys playing a lot. I mean, really at the end of the season, you had Quinn and Williams, Falcassi, McClendon, Anderson, Phillips, and Shepard all playing at least 20 snaps a game. So you have a lot of moving pieces on this line, and that's what makes it a really solid one. But like you said, it's not one of the best lines in the league. It's not in the realm, not yet at least. In the, in the area of where, you know, when they had Mo and Sheldon and Snacks at their peaks, even Leo in there as well. It's not quite there yet because they don't have the pass rushing. But in terms of against the run, this is definitely one of the top three to five best run-stopping defensive lines in the league. But the biggest thing is the pass rush. Last season, they did not get much pass rush, not just from the edge, but also from this unit as well, not a lot of pass rushing juice. And the two biggest guys to me are Quinn Williams and Nathan Shepard to uh, the pass rushing. We know how much upside Quinn Williams has. Can he take a, make a, a breakout of the season? He finished last season really strong. And then Nathan Shepard had a really efficient 
second half as a pass rusher last season, producing pressure. So I'm looking forward to seeing if Shepard can have a breakout season and become a really good, an all-around good defensive tackle, not just situationally, but producing at a high level. Uh, I'm interested to see if he can do that. Uh, but Henry Anderson, like you said, um, he had a very disappointing season last year. Uh, in 2018, he was one of the really one of the best pass rushing interior guys in the league. I believe he was 11th in pressures. And then this past season, he was somewhere around 50th among interior guys, dropped from 48 pressures to 18. So he had a huge fall off. And a big part of that was that he was playing a lot of five technique defensive end instead of inside. So he wasn't really a great fit there. And, you know, the personnel this season isn't much different than last year. So it doesn't seem like he's going to be able to play the same role. And he's got a lot of guys to compete with, like Shepard, Bodakasi, McClendon. So um, it doesn't seem like he's going to bounce back. It would be great, but it just doesn't seem like he's a fit anymore. But, I mean, he's still decent against the run. But but overall, this is a very good run-stopping unit. But the pass rusher needs to step up. But but you do have a lot of upside to accomplish that with Quinn and Williams and Nathan Shepard. So – uh, I like this position quite a bit. It's very solid, uh, and, and it's very versatile. That's what's important. All these guys can play multiple positions. You can rotate them throughout the game, keep people fresh. So it's a very solid all-around group. Yeah, and we're talking about Henry Anderson. I think he was just a guy that that really struggled probably with the scheme fit. That was the reason he was traded from Indianapolis. He's a solid player, but he's a 3-4 defensive end, and Greg likes to play more 4-3, but more so than that, he just likes to – he loves athleticism. He loves moving guys around. That's why I think a guy like Zuniga uh, by the second half of the season be, could be having a big role just because he brings that vers- versatility. That's part of the reason they drafted him. He's a guy that can line up uh, at defensive tackle, at defensive end, standing up with his hand in the dirt. He can do a lot of different things for Greg Williams. And that's just not really who Henry Anderson is as a player. Yeah, I mean, Henry Anderson is a 300 pounder who was on the edge for a lot of last season. And it just didn't look right most of the time. I mean, when he, had a matchup against the tight end in a run in the run game. He could set the edge really well, but in the passing game, he was just not producing anything. That's not his game. When when he was driving in 2018, he was at three tech technique going up against guards, uh, using his athleticism to beat them. But he was miscast last year, and doesn't seem like things are going to change because the the unit he's playing with is pretty much the same. But uh, but also the bottom of this unit. Uh, I think Franklin Myers is – I was interested to see him last year. He had a good rookie season with the Rams in 2018. I think he'll probably make the team. Um, maybe Jordan Willis makes it instead of him. He had some decent moments last year. He did have a strip sack against the Jaguars, but I think Franklin Myers makes it. But other than that, the other seven guys are locks. Fadakasi, Williams, McClendon, Anderson, Zuniga, Shepard, uh, and also Phillips. Those guys are definitely making the team. Yeah, when you look at outside linebackers, and again, this is a position much like receiver where I think the Jets will look to add somebody that shakes free. Jordan Jenkins, Terrell Basham, uh, those are the, the projected starters, but Basham has been injured. Um, so who's to know his status? He could be a candidate for IR. You never know. Uh, I'm not saying that he necessarily will be, but Adam Gase has been pretty tight-lipped on a lot of injuries. So, you know, anytime that a player is injured, it's always good to keep that in mind or around this time of year. It's, it's a way the Jets could stash him, but – uh, I think Basham should be ready, um, you know, by week three, week four, or whatever. But then Frankie Louvu is a guy who's had a great offseason. I think he'll be the guy who slides right in um, as uh, the starter opposite Jordan Jenkins. And then outside of that, I mean, Harvey Lange, uh, he's the only other guy that might make the team. I don't think Bryce Huff will. I think he's probably a practice squad candidate for this team. 
Uh, Lange is a guy who does contribute on special teams, was on the team last year. So he's a guy that I think um, could make the team. I, you know, but honestly, in my prediction, I think they're just going to carry those three, Jenkins, Basham, and Luvu, assuming Basham is healthy enough to uh, be ready in a few weeks. I think they're, those are the three they're going to carry. I think they're going to carry all eight defensive linemen we talked about. And I think they'll explore adding somebody else. Um, but I think they'll go light on outside linebackers just because they don't have really anybody there. Uh, and they, they can go heavy on the defensive line and inside linebacker. Michael, what do you think? Yeah, that's a good point. This is a position where they can kind of, uh, you know, go a little bit lighter to make some room for other positions, just because like you said, there isn't a lot of notable talent here and they do have a lot of guys on the, on the defensive line. And you have a few tweeners at that position too, like Henry Anderson, uh, even though it's not a great fit for him, he did play on, at, defense, at defensive end last year. Kyle Phillips can play both three-tech and five-tech. And Zuniga is probably in a, a similar boat to Phillips there. So you have a lot of guys who can, you can put out there. Uh, and there just you know, aren't too many great options. So I can see that. Muvu did have a good training camp. And he has uh, at least some athletic upside as an outside rusher. So he could make it. But I think Harvey Lange, I predicted him as my special teams player of the year. Last season for the Jets, he was I, – I looked at every single positive kickoff return, and he led the team in blocking assists on good kickoff returns with 10 of them. He's a kickoff blocking beast. I think he's going to make the team for that. Uh, and kickoff coverage as well with the tackles uh, and kick, against kickoffs. So I think he's a special teams beast, so I think he will make the team because of that. But like you said, I think um, – I could definitely see them going with only three players here. Jenkins and Basham – Definitely your starters. I think Luvu is a good shot, but I could see them leaving Lange off and using this as a position to create some space somewhere else. But I think he's going to make the team because he's quietly a very good special team player. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And that's something that a lot of fans do overlook at this time of season is their special teams impact. And that's part of the reason we saw a guy like Deontay Burnett get cut last year who did have a solid preseason and has chemistry with, with Sam Darnold. It comes down to he doesn't do anything on special teams. That is something that we have to keep in mind on. And I think that is a, an important point you just made. Lange is a guy that Brant Boyer is very comfortable with. So maybe I'm a little misguided to say that I think he'll get cut. Um, it's just something to, to really keep an eye on that, that I, I know that Brant Boyer is going to want at least three to five guys that he's very, very comfortable with. Uh, and then everybody else can, you know, sub in and out, especially with the Jets losing a guy like Brandon Copeland, who I know is a special team stud. Maybe Lange is the guy that, that does stick on that 53-man roster. Uh, at inside linebacker, uh, Hewitt Cash from Williamson and Burgess. I think that's a pretty easy call for the four. I think Onawasu will probably be placed on the injured reserve. Just doesn't sound like that injury is – Does it sounds like he's supposed to miss five to six weeks, so I think he'll end up on injured reserve. And then I think um, – I believe B.J. Bell has already been cut. So – uh, I think those are the four they'll carry and then Onawasu on injured reserve and then he'll come back. Presumably by the time he's ready to come back, somebody else will have gotten injured and there'll be a roster spot for him. But those are the four that I think they'll carry and I don't see that there's much question uh, here. I guess the, the main point of intrigue is that Williamson has been running a lot with the second team offense. It sounds like Greg Williams is going to roll with Hewitt and Cashman as the starters. I love to hear it about Cashman. It sounds like he's had a really good camp. He showed up in great shape. He's certainly the most athletic linebacker on this team. He's more of a new age 2020 linebacker whose biggest strength is in pass coverage. Um, and, and Hewitt's a guy who's more of a bulldog type of linebacker, just a, but a real smart player um, and ran the Mike linebacker for the Jets last year. So that's probably the reason he's starting more, but I would expect Williamson to get more reps. Um, I would imagine 
part of this is just because he's rehabbing from a knee injury, but he was very good in 2018. So I'd imagine that he ultimately works his way back into that starting lineup. But as we talked about, the Jets are very light at outside linebacker. So it would not surprise me if we see Williamson play a lot, especially since he's probably, he's not great by any means, but he's better than in pass coverage than Hewitt is. So I expect to see Williamson on the field a lot, whether they're having three linebackers out there or they're in nickel. Uh, I, I do think that he'll play a lot. But, Michael, any other notes on the inside linebackers? Yeah, I don't think there's any question here as to who will make the team. Like you said, uh, Owasa will probably be on injured reserve, and then you have the other four who seem to be locks to make the team. But the biggest thing uh, is Williamson and his health and whether or not, you know, because I think we all assumed he was just going to be penciled in to a starting spot, and, you know, he would be a big upgrade over what they had last year. Based on what he's done in his career, he's fantastic against the run, okay in coverage, which is a lot better than uh, Hewitt and the, other, the rest of the guys at this position are, except Cashman, if he can take a leap. Uh, but he certainly was going to be a big upgrade over Hewitt. So the fact that he's been on the second team is definitely a little bit worrisome. You know, maybe he doesn't look as good coming back from his injury as they hoped he would. Um, but I was looking forward to him being a huge upgrade. So him being on the second team is – definitely a little bit concerning because Hewitt last season just, I mean, he's a good rusher. He does bring you that as a blitzer. He's efficient in that role, but his both in coverage and against the run, he really struggled last season with missed tackles um, in coverage, both, both zone and man against the run. He misplayed some gaps. He really struggled last season. So um, I would definitely hope to see that Williamson can, uh, maybe they are just taking it slow with him, hoping he can recover then eventually take that spot over. But uh, if that doesn't happen, Hewitt is a liability in that position, I think, uh, until he proves otherwise. But Cashman starting is definitely a good sign. He has a lot of upside. Even though he did struggle for much of last season, he also showed some really intriguing potential. He was used very frequently as a blitzer and did a good job in that role. In coverage, he showed some signs, played some man-to-man all over the field in zone. So there are a lot of different things Cashman can do. So fact that Greg is confident in him starting the season uh, is a very good sign. So hopefully he can break out and become that modern linebacker, like you said, uh, whose uh, primary strength is in the passing game, both in coverage and blitzing. So excited about Cashman, but at the same time, concerned about what uh, is going on with Williamson and whether or not he's healthy, because I'm just concerned about Hewitt. I think uh, he's a liability in that position. And Williamson could have been a huge upgrade, so hopefully he can get healthy and be the player he was. If he can, that would be so big for this defense, especially because they've lost so much against the run uh, with Jamal Adams leaving. Um, and C.J. Mosley obviously didn't play last year, but it was going to be big to have him back. But uh, Williamson is a very good player, has been throughout his career. So if they can get the same guy back, it would be huge. Yeah, most definitely. And then when you look at the cornerback position, uh, again, another position I think the Jets will be fairly active at. I think they're starting three right now are, are fine. I think they're definitely better than last year's. Bless Austin's had a really good camp. Pierre Desir is coming back. I think he's a, he's a viable starting corner, definitely better than Tremaine Johnson. And Brian Poole was one of the top nickel corners in all of football last year. Outside of that, though, Michael, what are your thoughts on this cornerback position? How do you feel the, the back half of this shakes out? Do you think the Jets will be looking to add somebody to this position? And outside of that, who are the guys in the roster that you think will make it? I do think that your locks here are probably Poole, Desir, Austin, Quincy Wilson, Millette, and Hairston. But I, I, what I'm interested in is to see if they go with the seventh guy. I think 
Um, well, there's really only one guy who I think is a candidate for it right now on the roster, and that's Javelin Guidry, who was playing some second-team slot for them throughout uh, training camp. So I think it's interesting to see if he makes a team. Maybe if he does, it's over Nate Harrison. But uh, Harrison is interesting because coming when he came to the Jets last year, I was intrigued by it because I thought he was going to be that backup slot to pool. Uh, because as a rookie of the Colts, he was pretty impressive as a slot corner. Uh, and then it was playing outside where he struggled in 2019. And then when we saw him last year, he mostly struggled because he's playing outside again because the Jets had so many injuries and bad, just flat out bad players at that position. So he looked bad last year, but he didn't get to play the slot like we thought he was going to be doing uh, because Poole stayed healthy and played great. So Harrison as a backup slot actually could be a decent player there. But I'm interested to see if Gidry can overcome him for that. If not, I think Gidry will probably be on the practice squad. Uh, he has pretty really good – I mean, he was a track runner at Utah, has great speed. Uh, but he did come in and play pretty well in camp, or at least apparently. So uh, interested to see what happens with him. But other than that, I think we know the six guys who will make this unit. And I actually like this position. I think you have a good combination, combination of depth, upside, and proven talent in Brian Poole. I think with him in the slot, he was elite last year. Maybe he doesn't replicate that, but he should still be really good. I like the upside in Bless Austin. Uh, and then Quincy Wilson as well is an interesting wild card. With He can cover tight ends. He, he, he's a versatile cornerback, I think, who can do some different things for you, even take on some safety responsibilities. Millette, I think, is a, as good as you can get in a CB3 or CB4. And then I talked about Harrison in the slot. A biggest question for me is Desir as the corner as the CB one. He had a rough season last year uh, in that sort of in that role for the Colts. wasn't necessarily you know shadowing top receivers. There really aren't many quarterbacks who do that. But still, as a starter, I think Desir is a little bit questionable. He's getting up into his thirties. He's had some injury questions, uh, and the Jets play a lot of really good receivers this season. So, including DeAndre Hopkins, who has torched Desir quite a bit over the past few seasons. So, I have my questions about Desir, but I do like uh, a few players on this team, on, on this position. Bless Austin, I think, is a great fit under Greg, had a solid rookie season in really harsh circumstances with his injuries and coming in midseason. So, I'm, I'm excited to see if Austin can break out. But I like this position. There's good competition and depth here, some upside you have a proven starter in pool. Desir is what I'm looking at as the biggest question mark. Yeah, most definitely. I think that in my mind, I actually think they're going to start out with five. I think Harrison's going to be cut, and I think they're going to try to look to sign somebody. Yeah. I, I think that Desir, Austin, Poole, Wilson, Millett, like you said, are, are the guys that will make this team. I think Harrison is it's questionable. I mean, he's the, he's Brian Poole's backup in the nickel. He's he's at his best in the slot there. Um, but they're just like receiver. There are a lot of teams that have a lot of corners. And I think that one's going to shake free when you look at the New England, when you look at Philadelphia, Joe Douglas's old team, there are a lot of corners on that roster that I think are better than Nate Harrison and probably Arthur Millette and potentially even Quincy Wilson as well. That could be free. When you look at Philadelphia, particularly with Joe Douglas, Razul Douglas and Sidney Jones are two guys that could be on the chopping block. Both guys have deep ties to Joe Douglas. Um, so I would keep an eye out on corner. I think they're going to start out with five to help make room for the guys that they're going to have to keep in the roster until putting them on IR. And then I think they'll probably end up with six after adding somebody. Um, so I don't think Harrison will end up making the roster, but I could be wrong. And I think you're right. I think guy, I think Lamar Jackson and Gidry are two 
very good candidates for the practice squad. I agree with you on, on Gidry. He, he was questionable. I know you, you had him to potentially make the roster. He's a guy that I thought could maybe leapfrog Harrison, but it doesn't seem like it's happened, so I don't think it will. Um, but another, had, thing, oh, another thing that, that I do like about this cornerback position that's pretty consistent across all the players they have is these guys are good against the run. All these guys, you can count on them. Uh, at least the majority of them, I think Poole, Austin, Desir, Millette, maybe Wilson as well, uh, are good against the run. They miss very few tackles, uh, and, the, and they make hustle plays, chasing down, uh, chasing plays down from behind. So that's a pretty good, consistent trait that these cornerbacks offer. And, and that was a big part of them. Uh, their great run defense last season, Poole, Austin, and Millette were a big part of that. Uh, and Desir carries that over from the Colts. That, that's something you can count on him to do. He is a good tackler. So this position, uh, this group does consistently, all these guys, most of them contribute to the run game pretty well. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that you just made and, and something that's certainly important to Greg Williams's defense. But when you look at safeties, um, this is a position that, I, like you said about the corners, uh, I'm very excited about the safety group, despite losing Jamal Adams. I think that this is a unit that um, got, I mean, they, yeah, there's no way around it that they got worse by losing Jamal Adams. But it's not a, a position I'm worried about. I think that Bradley McDougal does a very solid safety in his own right. He was, you know, a, an above average starter for Seattle. And, and uh, Marcus May is a guy who's had a terrific training camp. And he's been the guy that's primarily slid into Jamal Adams's former role. Apparently he's in, in line for a huge season. If you buy into training camp buzz and Ashton Davis is a guy that's making plays every single practice. It sounds like the jets are very high on him as well. As you've talked about, it's certainly one of those things where, you know, training camp practices, you don't want to read too much into them. Um, but, I mean, the, the hype around Davis in May is real, uh, and I'm certainly buying into it. It's good to hear that Ashton Davis has is, is had a nose for the football thus far in training camp. Um, but, Michael, what are your thoughts on the safety position? You're, you're a guy who thought that Davis might not have a great rookie season, and he still might. I mean, this, we've had three weeks of training camp practices. We're not going to change all of our opinions on it. But it does, like Dave, it does sound like, at least from the way they're deploying him, that Davis is going to be much more involved than I initially thought that I think they're going to run a ton of three safety looks. Uh, and I think that, you know, given that, that uh, May has been out uh, with the calf and McDougal got out, he's gotten a lot of time with the ones. Um, but this is a position I'm very excited about. Uh, and I think it gives Greg Williams a ton of versatility. So, Michael, what are your thoughts on this unit? Like you said, I was kind of – and still am a little bit skeptical of Davis just because of some of his college film with Cal. At Cal, it seemed like he had – a lot to work on before he'd be ready. But uh, the thing with his camp hype is that it's been consistent. It's not like he had one good play or one ridiculous clip. It seems like every single practice he's been making plays. So that's what's really promising, uh, the fact that he's been you know, getting consistent reps and then consistently standing out. Uh, that's really important. So it still might not carry over. He still could have a very rookie-like season. But the consistency with uh, his hype has been – very promising. Definitely the most consistently praised player on the roster throughout training camp. So that's promising. Uh, but I think the biggest thing with safety is that this is a position where it is a lot, it's, it makes a bit much bigger impact to be bad at safety than it does to be great. If your safeties just aren't good and they're blowing coverages and missing tackles, you're giving up a lot of touchdowns. Their responsibility is to prevent big plays. So if you're not good there, you're going to give up a lot of huge plays and it's going to hurt your defense immensely. 
Whereas if you're great at safety, it's still amazing to have a great safety. Jamal Adams is a loss for sure, but I don't think the positive impact of a great safety is as important as not having terrible safeties, and the Jets don't have terrible safeties. They're still good here. Marcus May is a top 10 free safety, and then McDougal in coverage is very solid. His run defense, that's where the Jets will probably miss Adams the most, and in addition to the blitzing that Adams brings, but right. uh, there are other ways you can make up for that with guys like Neville Hewitt, Brian Poole, Ashton Davis as well. There are different ways you can spread his blitz reps around, but run defense is where McDougal will probably be a noticeable downgrade, but in coverage, uh, still a downgrade versus Adams because he is, Adams is elite there, but in coverage, McDougal, especially in man coverage is very solid. But so right. I think with this duo, you still have a top 10 to 12, a tandem of safeties with May McDougal. And then you throw in Davis as well. If he can carry over this camp hype, it could be one of the best three deep safety depth charts in the league. But the most important thing here is the Jets are solid at this position. This isn't Calvin Pryor, Marcus Gilchrist. It isn't, you know, some of the many safeties the Jets cycled through in the early 2010s uh, that were just struggling, giving up big plays. That's the most important thing at this position. As long as you have guys who play their, who know their role, execute it, and don't give up big plays, then you're okay. And then anything you can get from that, you know, whether it's ball hawking interceptions, pass deflections, fumbles, pass rush impact, that's all gravy. But as long as you have uh, guys who know their role, don't give up big plays, you should be fine. The Jets definitely have that. And they could have a little bit more with McDougal's man coverage, Davis's speed and versatility. And then Marcus May as well could have a lot more opportunities this season to play in the box, play man coverage, and show what he can do in those roles. And he's shown some flashes on the few opportunities he has gotten uh, over the past few years. So I love, this position is still one of the strengths of the team, even though they don't exactly. have Jamal Adams. It's definitely worse. He's the best safety in the league. But um, there's a lot to be excited about here. Uh, yeah, and, and I, we talked about it before training camp that I felt that Ashton Davis was going to be the guy that would really alleviate the loss of Jamal Adams. Uh, he's not not close to the same type of, uh, of player Jamal Adams is. Uh, he's, you know, more of a free safety, not much of a strong safety. Jamal Adams is an elite potential Hall of Fame player. Nash and Davis is a third-round pick. But I think that the Jets are going to use him to alleviate some of that a pass rushing loss. I think you're going to see Ashton Davis be the, the, when they're in dime coverage, I think you're going to see yeah, Davis. I think there are ways you could take what Adams did and split it across this group. Like McDougald can take on some of the tight end matchups in the slot. And then right. like you said, Davis can take on a lot of those blitzing reps and right. that's somewhere he could thrive with his speed. Yeah, they're going to go – when they go to their dime package, I think they're going to have three safeties instead of four corners. And either it's going to be McDougald in the slot because of his man coverage skills or you're going to put Davis in there because Davis is a guy who plays free safety, strong safety, uh, slot corner, corner, kick returner. Part. I mean, he did it all linebacker for Cal. And, and so that versatility – reminds me a lot of Jamal Adams. And when Adam Gage refers to him as the energizer bunny, that was the big concern. I think when we downgraded from Jamal Adams to Bradley McDougald is McDougald's not the athletic freak that Jamal Adams is. And I was worried that they were going to lose some of that uh, energy on defense, but you can't expect Ashton Davis to replicate all of it, but I do like that he's been making plays and that he is bringing that energy uh, to the Jets defense. Uh, I think the other really interesting part about this before we move on is the fact that Marcus may, I mean, look, great. Greg Williams loves versatility in safeties. He doesn't like just having uh, a free safety and a strong safety. Uh, 
But it sounds like Marcus May has been playing more strong safety than free safety, which was his MO coming out of college was that coming out of Florida, they thought that he could play uh, both positions. Michael, what are your thoughts on that? That it seems like Marcus May and not Bradley McDougal is the guy who's, who's filling in for, for Jamal Adams. Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see what he does in this new role that he plays because, you know, he's, he's very good at what he does. We know when they had Jamal Adams and you had, you know, you had Adams roaming everywhere. He could do everything you need in the box and all over the, within 10 yards of the line of scrimmage, 10 to 15 yards, he can do anything. So you have Marcus May sit back there, single high, even cover two sometimes, and he's going to handle that role great. So we know he can do that. But when he's come down and he's had to play the run in the box, I think he's done a mostly good job. Uh, he hasn't gotten too many opportunities to cover closer to the line of scrimmage, so we don't know too much about that. But I like what he's done when he has had to come near the line of scrimmage. So I think he can do a good job. Like you said, it's coming out of Florida, it's not like he was this – single high only safety he was kind of a player who was projected as a guy who could do both uh, even though the Jets have had him playing mostly free safety he has the ability to do to do both so I'm excited to see what he does a little skeptical because I'm because we know he can play well in the role he has been playing so it's a little bit of a risk to take him out of that but at the same time you're losing Jamal Adams you have to have multiple guys pitching in to fill in for what he does because he was so ridiculously versatile so there's a little bit of a risk but I think he can is capable of playing well in that role and he could even become a bigger impact player you know if if playing in that role does mean he could force more fumbles pick up some recoveries and maybe in man coverage be an asset there so a little bit of risk because we already know he's good at what he has been doing but I think he from what he's shown us I think he's capable of thriving near the box if he plays there more which it seems like he will yeah, and then lastly, the special teamers. Uh, we already know two of these three. Braden Mann and Thomas Hennessy are definite locks. Uh, very excited about both of those. And Thomas Hennessy, friend of the podcast. You can check out our film review session with him on the Jets X Factor YouTube. Great guy. Um, but the kicker position, I mean, that's still up in the air. They cut Brett Maurer. It sounds like Sam Ficken has the job. But for how long? I mean, I think that the Jets will certainly be active uh, on the waiver wire, see if anybody shakes free. Uh, I don't believe Steven Hauschka has been signed. You, you can correct me if I'm wrong on that. But at this time of year, plenty of good kickers or at least solid kickers do shake free because most teams like to enter camp with at least two kickers. Um, just because a lot of teams do have a uh, hole there and like to have competition. And also because you want to give your starting kicker's leg a rest and also just evaluate other, other uh, a position that is so important. Um, so I do expect a lot of kickers to shake free this, this weekend. And I think that Joe Douglas – uh, or I should say, I expect that Joe Douglas will be active there. I don't think he'll settle just yet for Sam Ficken. Um, but he does have experience with Brent Boyer. He was okay last year. He was better than what they had last year. He provided some stability, but he certainly is not a good kicker. So I think that the Jets will be fairly active. I think this is another position. In addition to, we talked about receiver, edge rusher, maybe when you're looking at corner or offensive line, those are two positions to watch. I think kicker uh, is the last one that I think you definitely need to keep an eye out on. Uh, for this weekend. Michael, what, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I've been pretty adamant about wanting them to pick up another kicker because just Sam Ficken just has not been good so far. He wasn't good for them last season, and he, he didn't get too many opportunities before the Jets. Only a few. I think he had six attempts with the Rams over a couple years, but I think he only made half of those, so he just hasn't been good so far, and 
all we heard from camp was that both of these kickers were I think one reporter said I forget who it was but he said they were trying to outstink each other so uh, they already were not good Ficken and Maher and then they were both bad in camp so and I, I think Ficken did close out with a five for five at the MetLife practice but um, still it's only one practice so it's not a promising option so I'm not comfortable going in with that and I think it makes sense for them to bring someone else in uh, the Titans left a few options for the Jets. Uh, Greg Joseph, they released, who was pretty de- pretty good for them last season, had a decent year for the Browns year before that. Uh, and they decided between uh, Goskowski and Steven Hauschka. They went with Goskowski, so Hauschka is available now. He's had a couple down years the past two seasons, but still better than Sam Ficken pretty significantly. So uh, I think the Jets definitely should look at one of those two guys, either Joseph or Hauschka. And I mean, at this point of the offseason, I guess the one thing I haven't really considered is that now that camp is over, I guess working them out is something that might be more difficult. I'm not exactly sure how that would work. I guess they could uh, have a workout with someone if they needed to have a competition or something like that. But I guess that now camp is over, it might be more difficult to do that. But kicker is definitely going to be a big question mark once again. So not promising there, but at punter, with Braden Mann, very excited to see what he does. Uh, he seems like he's got all the tools to be a really great punter. We know how good his distance is, but we heard out of camp that his control was good as well, that he has a knack for dropping his punts in place, not letting them bounce into the end zone. Uh, so it seems like he has a complete package to, to do everything you want at the punter position, be a star there for a long time. Um, we know Jets fans are going to have his back for the Pro Bowl voting, but hopefully he actually earns it. So I'm excited to see what Mann does. This special teams unit, punt coverage unit, has been very good. Even with Edwards being just okay, kind of having an occasional shank, wasn't great with his control or power. But now you throw in Mann, who has some special abilities as a punter, in terms of control, distance, things like that. Uh, it seems like this could be a really special hunting unit this season. So excited to see what he does. Yeah. And I think we covered it uh, as far as the 53 man roster goes, but lastly, we'll just, we'll fix your, we'll end it with the depth chart. Before kicker we get turn- to that though, what, what, what do you think of the, the kicker battle? Like if you, if you bring in a kicker at this point, do you think they would be able to no. like have them compete? No, no. They, I mean, they try them out. I mean, that's, I, I think you raised a good point about COVID that I think it's going to be hard to try them out. But you also raised a good point. You're full of them uh, about the fact that kicker is one of those few positions where you can pretty much judge it objectively. I mean, for the most part, it's just a percentage and you can go off that percentage uh, and find success just purely grading it off that. It's not a position where you need to watch a ton of film or know a ton of context. I mean, sure. There are occasions where that helps, but for the most part, it's, it's a mathematical equation. And I think, that if somebody shakes free that, that Joe Douglas likes a lot more because uh, he has a higher kick, kicking percentage. I know that Brent Boyer might have, you know, uh, it's again, when we talk about thinking about the cuts and we think about um, who might end up on special teams or whatnot for kickers, the other thing to, to remember is kickoffs. I mean, that is something that they do look at. Um, I think that they should look towards Hauschka or look towards a veteran, but I would imagine that Joe Douglas and crew at this point have, have, had their eye on a few kickers that are on teams where they think they could, they could shake free and they could add them. Um, I would say it's a toss up right now. If it Ficken enters week one. Um, but no, I don't, I don't think they have enough time to bring them in and try them out, especially after 53 man cut. 
before you have to cut down the rosters, that's the time to do it. But at this point, you can maybe bring you can bring them in for a tryout and then sign them if you like it after the tryout. But that's the most realistic scenario. Um, yeah, and the thing you were alluding to that I said, uh, I think I put out a, a post about it, but uh, it's that I think teams just kind of don't approach kicker the right way. I'm sure they do watch film. I'm sure there are a lot of things that we don't know about, whether it's their form, uh, maybe they're focused on how close their misses are, things like that. But it, it's just the most cut and dry position to evaluate in the entire sport. It's very simple what their job is. It's to make their kicks. And, and, and you do go beyond the regular percentage because, you know, obviously 50-yard kicks are harder than 30 uh, and, you know, so on and so forth. So you can't just look at the one number. You have to, you know, look at where they're kicking from and evaluate it that way. But still, it's very simple what their job is to do. It's not like every other position in the league, you, you have to watch their film because the production can lie to you quite a bit because of all the other circumstances, whether it's the right scheme fit, how good their teammates are whether they were healthy, their potential and upside, things like that. But with kickers, it's just, it seems like it's a much, sim- much simpler position to evaluate than every other position. It should be as simple as this guy makes more kicks or has made a lot more kicks, uh, made his kicks much more frequently than this guy. He should be a better bet. It's just, you know, like playing a lottery ticket. Some of them are just better bets than others. So it seems like a lot of teams and specifically the Jets this year and last year, have just, you know, been really too complacent with going with kickers who just plain and simply have not been good performers throughout their careers. So uh, we'll see how it plays out this season. I was wrong about Jason Myers a couple years ago. Um, so we'll see if that happens again. But it, they they did strike gold once, didn't last year. Uh, and, and now they're going into the season with, as of right now, another pretty bad kicker. So hopefully it doesn't bite them. Yeah, and then as I was about to say before we hopped in to the kicker, lastly, not about the 53-man roster, but we're looking at the depth chart. Ashton Davis and Braxton Berrios are the projected uh, returners for this year. Michael, how do you feel about that? More so when it comes to kick returning with Ashton Davis because Berrios was pretty solid last year. Kick returning, it was more of a revolving door between Vincent Smith and Ty Montgomery. Sounds like Davis has that position on lock. He was a hurdler in college. Obviously, we talked about his athleticism. How comfortable are you with um, the, the current returners for this team? You know, that pun returner, Barrios, I think is uh, – I think he's going to be there for – I mean, we'll see how long he sticks with the team, but I'm comfortable with him at that position. I think what is important about, important about Barrios at punt returners is that his average was really good last season, but it's not like he had – two 65-yard returns or one 99-yard return that bumped up his average. His longest return, I think, was 26 yards. So he maintained, uh, I think he was third in punt return average at uh, about 11 yards per return, even though he didn't have any long returns. So basically what I'm saying is he was very consistent in that role. Even if he doesn't have the breakaway speed, he's going to consistently get what he should be getting. Uh, and also, he, he did have one muff, I believe, but still, I think that's pretty solid. A lot of returners muff, most of them muff multiple punts in a season, so uh, he keeps those down. He's very consistent. Uh, he is definitely one of the better returners, uh, punt returners in the league, so I think his consistency makes you conf- confident that he can uh, be the same, uh, be similarly effective every single season because he's not relying on one return to bump up his average, but at the same time, you're not getting that explosiveness. So that is sort of a downside 
But uh, at kick returner, I'm interested to see what Davis does. Uh, speed does not always translate into great returning. I think we've seen the Jets try out a few guys to that position who were, you know, had great 40 times but didn't necessarily uh, produce when they were returning. But uh, I think that it, it'll be interesting to see what he does. He does have some experience uh, in doing it in college. Uh, but, but we'll see. His, he has a lot of upside because of his speed. But at the same time, uh, like I said, it doesn't always translate. There's vision, elusiveness. Uh, those are probably the two most important things, and we'll see if he has that. Uh, based on some of his interception returns, it seems like he might have pretty good ball skills, so we'll see what he does. Um, the Jets back up. You know, you go back a decade, you had Antonio Cromartie returning kicks, another very fast defensive back who did have a lot of success as a kick returner. So it is possible, and we'll see what happens. But the blocking, too, is important. I talked about Harvey Lange before. He was their best blocker on kickoff returns last season. I tracked him as having 10 blocking assists on kickoff returns past the 25-yard line. So that's Sounds a big like he'll make it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, take my, I take my prediction back. Yeah, it's a big reason why I think he will make it. And uh, the, these are the stats you get here on Cool Your Jets. No one else is talking about kickoff blocking assists. So I think Harvey Lange is going to make the team for that reason. That should help Ashton Davis. But – uh, there's a lot of upside to him at kick returner. I'm interested to see what he does there. Yeah, who else Who else is interviewing the long snapper and doing a film breakdown with him? <laughs> just, just cool your jets. We're into the things that you don't care about. Exactly. Um, that's why you should care. That's, that should be our new, uh, new T-shirt. We're into the things that you don't care about. Michael, write that down. Um, <laughs> okay, I think that'll wrap it up for us. Uh, we'll be doing another episode either in the middle or the end of the weekend talking about the moves that they did make, see if there's any surprise cuts. I think it'll be more about the guys they brought in. And then we'll have another podcast next week previewing Buffalo, which sounds crazy to see or to think that we have football, real live football against another team, not preseason, all four quarters with the starters um, next week against Buffalo. It's an exciting game for the Jets. It's a real test for them. You know, I think some Jets fans do underestimate Buffalo, perhaps myself included. Um, but we'll learn a lot about Adam Gase's squad week one, see how they come out and play. Um, it'll be interesting, but, uh, again, I'm, I'm very excited about the season and I know Michael, you are as well. I think that as we talked about at the beginning, there's a lot of doom and gloom, but I, I really don't think that that's, uh, worthy. I mean, obviously the questions about Adam Gase around, but I do think this is, especially with seven playoff teams, I, I don't think this is a, a bottom five team. Like some people are talking about, I, I think this is a team that should be playing meaningful games, uh, in December. I mean, when you think about it, the jets just held on to their 16 point lead against the bills last year and took care of, uh, business against either of those winless teams or if Sam Donald didn't get mono presuming that they wouldn't have started on four they'd be a playoff team so you know I, I think that you know I, I'm excited for the season is my point I'm not trying to say that the Jets are going to Super Bowl run or anything I don't think that they're one of the better teams in the league but I do think that they are building in the right directions certainly better than last year and I am excited to watch Sam Donald because I do think he'll have a big year this year um Again, you can follow us at CYJ Pod on Twitter. You can follow Michael at Michael underscore Nania, myself at Ben W. Blessington. You can find us wherever you listen to podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, in addition to JetsXFactor.com, which is the best place to go for Jets content. Uh, Michael, anything else before we wrap this up? And just to follow up what you said in terms of expectations for the season. I mean, look, this is – I understand the concern with this team. It's on paper, not a great roster. They you know, already were only seven-win team lose Adams, you lose Mosley. Um, so I understand not being thrilled about the prospects of this team. You know, last season there was a lot of hype after all the additions, then it didn't 
that didn't pan out. But so I understand being concerned about this roster. But the reason I'm excited for this season is that it feels like for the first time in over a decade, the Jets are on the cusp of building a real foundation that can be the core of winning for an extended period of time. And that might not mean they make the playoffs or have a great season this year, but it seems like with Joe Douglas, with some of the young players that they've, uh, that they've accumulated over the past few seasons, that we can come out of the season feeling like the Jets are going to be a real franchise for the next few seasons, because, you know, always what we focus on with this team is just how talented they are, who they're going to add free agency next season to plug holes. But, it's not how good teams are built. It's about drafting. It's about filling holes and um, in creative ways through free agency in the trade market with uh, using value with cheap free agent signings and finding ways to plug holes in efficient ways and then building the core of your team with the draft. And it feels like with Joe Douglas, we have a guy who understands positional value, understands the strengths and weaknesses of his roster and has an idea of the culture that he wants to build and finds guys who match that, and not just the culture off the field, but on the field, schematically, talent-wise, understands what he wants, what talents, what type of players he needs uh, to complement each other to build a good core. So maybe the Jets won't be great this year, but I feel like this is a team that, for the first time in a while, has a chance to exceed expectations because they have a GM who can make savvy free agent pickups, get guys like Brashad Perriman, uh, and, you know, George Fant and Bradley McDougald and Pierre Desir, who could exceed expectations, a guy who can draft players who can contribute as rookies. That's something the Jets have not gotten a lot of over the past decade. And also the most important thing is the offensive line could be okay this season. I don't think it'll be great. There's still some more pieces to be added, but if the offensive line is okay, it changes so much. The Jets have had to work around that for so long, uh, mostly the past four seasons, they've had to work around that so much and that brings everything else down. And if that O-line can be okay, a lot of the weaknesses we're talking about outside wide receiver, um, Darnold and his progression won't be issues and those positions will look a lot better. So I think even though this roster on paper is not great, this is the first time the Jets are looking like, I feel like they're looking like a real football organization. They can draft well, have a core, find players who could, fill the holes that they have efficiently with value. Uh, so I, that basically what I'm saying is, even though this team doesn't look like a playoff team, I think they can exceed expectations and be a whole, have the whole be greater than the, sum of the, the, than the sum of the parts because they're good at key positions, that they might have rookies that contribute, and they overall just have players that complement each other. And it all goes back to Joe Douglas. So Bottom line, I think Joe Douglas really adds to the excitement of both this 2020 team and the future of the entire Jets franchise. Yeah, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but I agree with you. I, I really, I think that's a positive note. I mean, obviously we have two episodes until the season, but with each uh, episode, I, I keep wanting to, to talk about how, how optimistic I am feeling for maybe not, I, I think they'll be good this season, but I'm talking the future of the Jets. Like, this is the most optimistic I've ever felt about them. And I think, and I guess it's relevant because they restructured Avery Williamson. They released Brian Winters. They've made a lot of moves Joe Douglas has in the past month uh, that have been head scratching. A lot of fans are, oh, who are they signing? There's got to be a corresponding move, including myself. That was my uh, original reaction to some of those moves, but it's clearing cap space for next year. And when you look at it, I mean, whether Joe Douglas meant to or not by being a little bit cheaper this year, I, I tend to think he, he will be, or he did, uh, is that 
this next offseason, I mean, a lot of teams are going to be under that, over that cap. A lot of good teams, a lot of teams with a lot of depth. When you're looking at Philadelphia, New Orleans, a lot of teams like that who have very good depth and very competent and good rosters, they're going to have to let go of, of good veteran players. Uh, they're going to have to let go of, of guys who shouldn't be let go of just to get under that cap space. And Joe Douglas is going to have a ton of cap space to build out the depth of this team. And the other thing you have to remember, because the cap's going down, the market's going down, those contracts are going to be cheaper. So as many free agencies as you can get in this offseason, they're going to be way more valuable than the free agency you get last offseason because the contracts are going to be much cheaper. So I, I know that was a little bit off topic there, but you went on a tangent about how optimistic you are for, for the future of this team. I, I am as well. I'm really excited about uh, the future. I know this roster is, in my mind, better than it was last year. It's certainly not towards the top uh, of the league, um, but I, I think give it two or three seasons, especially with all those draft picks, and I think we're going to see it uh, get there. And on that note, We'll wrap it on a positive note. We have two more episodes to be all negative. Um, but very excited about the season is, is the summary of that. Let us know what you think about the Jets 53-man roster, your, your expectations for the season, how excited you are. As I said, we'll have an episode probably on Monday reviewing all the moves that they made over the weekend. And then we'll have another episode later that week previewing um, week one against Buffalo. So everybody stay safe, stay happy. Go Jets.